begins with this gate drop. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to the Power to the Ground podcast. I am Steve, and like a trooper, showing up anyway, even though he's sick, is Jesse. What's going on, man? I am here. I'm going to be heavily relying on you today, but I will do my damnedest. <laughs> Jesse's not feeling great today, but again, he's trooping through. So uh, we're going we're gonna to try to do this, and we're going to make it through. You'll be okay, buddy. I'm here to support you. Uh, but before we get into today's show, let's get to some spots. <laughs> What's up, guys? Steve here. Thanks for listening to the Power to the Ground podcast, the dirt bike podcast that looks to revolutionize the media in motocross and supercross. We upload the podcast every Sunday at 4, and you can listen on all of your favorite podcast platforms. You can also check us out at www.power2theground.com, where you can find merch, giveaways, and exclusive web content. And if you want to join the conversation on Facebook, you can take part in weekly polls, and don't forget to share with all of your rider buddies. Now, back to the podcast. I will survive, Steve. I will survive. I, I have faith in you, my friend. So we're going to really just kind of uh, continue our conversation from last week. I think this is a really, really interesting topic, and uh, we got some really, really interesting uh, perspectives and feedback on our poll from last week. And... Um, so let's start there. So first of all, the the question on the poll was, uh, do you do you think there should be a playoff in in uh, Supercross? Correct. Um, and kind of unsurprisingly, the nose won, <clears throat> but it was a little bit closer than I think I was expecting. Fifty six percent of the voters said no. Um, however, you pointed out that if you read through the comments, a lot of those people who said no kind of said it with a little bit of a caveat of, you know, the playoffs destroyed NASCAR. And when we posed to them, well, what if we did it differently than NASCAR? They were much more open to the idea. Correct. Yeah. And that uh, caveat's a perfect way to say it because that's exactly what I said to them. What if it wasn't done like NASCAR? And everybody that I said that to said, well, I guess it depends on how it was done. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing. So so when we brought up the playoff thing, it wasn't necessarily a uh, let's just do what NASCAR did. It was a, a uh, proposition to what are ways that we can make the season more exciting for fans, especially casual fans, because hardcore fans are going to watch either way. Right. Um, and so I'm not saying to ignore your hardcore fan base, but... If you want your sport to grow, you need to bring in more people. And the best way to do that is to appeal a little bit to the casual fan. Um, so for the people who said no because they think – here's one thing I do disagree with, right? Uh, there were a few people that said um, the season is competitive, exciting throughout all the way through as it is. And I just flat out vehemently disagree with that. I do too. Um, I think that there are entirely too many times when the season is just over with – more than a handful of races left, both outdoor and indoor. Um, and that is not an exciting product. That does not keep people watching. It's the same thing that happens at the end of regular seasons in other sports where seeds are pretty much made. People who made the playoffs, you might have a few teams vying for a playoff spot. For the most part, everybody knows where everybody stands. And you're just kind of waiting for the playoffs to start. Well, there are no playoffs right now. So at the end of the season, when you already know who's going to win, what's the point of watching those last few if you're a more casual fan? Right. Yeah, and there's uh, when we go through this conversation, there's really, there's really, it comes down to maybe three or four different things that I think that they could do better to improve the sport as a whole. Um, 
excluding the media part because I think the media is a tool for them to use to improve these things. One is the product, um, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Do, does Supercross become a, more of a team sport? Do they add a playoff? Um, do they change the point system? That's all part of the the product of the race, how the series is actually going. Um, uh, you could also probably throw into that category evening out the playing field. Right. And and so that's something we're definitely getting into too. I think I want to save the uh, the rides and the bikes and the specs for, for the second half of the podcast. Okay. But um, <clears throat> we're definitely going to hit on that one because there was a lot of kind of back and forth there too yeah. throughout the week. Um, but back to kind of just the, the, the overall, um, the idea of a playoff. So first of all, we're once again uh, for this podcast taking a trip down Fantasy Lane, right? Yeah, like we're going to Funky Town here because there's a lot of these changes that very likely are not never going to going to happen in this sport. They're yeah, just, we basically have to make our own series in order to make a lot of these things happen. Which, if you guys keep subscribing and sharing and you know getting us uh, enough <laughs> influence, you know maybe we make that happen. We start our own series where we we do the things that we all these changes that we want to make. Um, there's just too much money invested in the sport um, through the sponsors right now for the sponsors to ever allow some of these changes that could somehow in their eyes to affect their bottom line, which I, I mean, again, to me is a, is a ridiculous viewpoint because as the sport grows, so does your bottom line as a sponsor, right? That's, right. that's, that's, it's, it goes in hand in hand, but they're so worried about not taking that initial dip in profit that they're they're not looking at the long term right. of potential. So yeah, it's like you know, one of the one of the big backbone sponsors that you have in um motocross and supercross obviously is Monster. Um it's a big company, big company. Um they have a huge huge bottom line. Um then on like other major sports, you have companies that sponsor like Nike now I'll ask you, who would you rather be? Would you rather be Monster or would you rather be Nike as a company? As far as the amount of money that you're just sheer revenue that you're pulling oh, in as I a sponsor. Mean, yeah, well, probably Nike, right? I mean, it's Nike. Everybody uses Nike across right. all of the sports, four right. major sports. They have a hand in everything. Yeah, Monster, Monster is a big company. They're like nothing against Monster. They pull in a ton of cash. But Monster... The way that they're doing what they're doing, they'll never be Nike, never. They have they a lot in a lot of these sponsors and the what they do in like motorsports, they flat out have to change the way that they're doing it because these all they're they're not growing their sport, they're just maintaining it. Yeah, and I think that's you know that's a product of those sponsors having entirely too much control over the sport. Nike does not dictate the rules of the NFL. Right. Um, you know, Nike does not dictate schedules nike does not um you know draft players nike you know what i mean it's none of that nike is just saying hey you're pretty popular let us sponsor some of your players so that they can get our name out there and then obviously you know the nfl takes a cut of that right or the teams are you know however those kind of sponsors but the point being nike doesn't make those decisions and in our sport in this sport those sponsors make all of those decisions right and yeah, this is actually, it's a big conversation that I had um, during the week on the uh, the video that we posted. It was just a snippet of this. Oh, by the way, if you're not following us on Facebook, follow us. Um, we've, we've got a lot of really fun stuff that we've been going on, you know, with the polls. 
even the conversation with just the snippets that we that we've been yeah, having. Yeah, it's really, really been, it's been some good interaction on, on there, and some great conversations going trying on. Trying to find this. So I actually had a back and forth with um, Kyle Brotherson, um, who is the host of the Dirt Bike Channel YouTube um, YouTube page. Um, he came back. He said, uh, so it started with this guy, Josh. Josh said, having to pay to watch Supercross is the worst way to grow the fan base and the future of the sport. Extremely short-sighted and greedy. I totally agree where he's coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, then later on in that, um, Kyle Brotherson, who is the, he's also the owner of this Facebook page, um, that this was posted in. And he said, I didn't listen to the podcast you posted, so I'm at a disadvantage there. It's all about advertising dollars on TV. Those other events aren't free to cover either. They are very expensive. The difference is there are many more companies willing to pay for ads during those commercial breaks that pay for the coverage. If there were more companies willing to advertise big money on Supercross commercial breaks, there would be more and wider coverage. Another aspect is those people... yeah, is those people that don't have a direct TV or a cable service. I paid a fee to be able to watch Supercross through my internet service. This means I don't have a contract for TV. I was happy to pay the, for the coverage. Great all, points. All valid points. I 100% dis- uh, agree with him on most of those things. Um, I I think the uh, – and I, I came back. We went back and forth a couple of times, and I pointed out the differences in sponsorships – in super supercross and motocross versus nfl and they're inverted the sponsorships in the nfl are corporate partnerships the for the most part the 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 biggest money that nike spends in the nfl is not to tom brady it's not to obj or yeah Yeah. odell beckham jr um it's not to the talent the biggest sponsors the, the biggest uh, money that those big sponsors pay is to the NFL itself. Yes, and it trickles down from there. There are spons- There are sponsorships that trickle down to sp- uh, particular teams. There are sponsors that trickle down to the the elite players. Yeah, so the NFL gets those advert those dollars, those sponsorship and advertising dollars, and then the owners of all of the teams get their cut of that, and that cut. It goes into salaries, and and you're if, um, if you're talking about just the NFL's trickle down, never right. mind just the, the direct sponsorships uh, for the players, which is still fine, um, but it's it's a very structured uh, a structured setup, right? Where it goes to the NFL as an organization, that, that organization gives um, its cut to the owners, and all of those owners use some of that cut and any other revenue that they they have based on their ticket sales and all that stuff to pay their players, right? Um, and that's how it kind of trickles down. Um, but there is a middleman there, and that middleman is the NFL. So right. that the NFL, at the end of the day, still has complete and utter control over its product. Right. Yeah, and that, and it's the opposite in motocross and supercross. Because ultimately, if, if Tomac this year decided he didn't want to race supercross and he wanted to go race, I don't know, the, the World Enduro, uh, Enduro Supersport Series or – World Enduro something. We yeah, get West. It. We get the it. West. We get the it. West series. Um, if he wanted to race that, his sponsors would go with him. 
he's still going to get paid by the sponsors. Um, whereas if an NFL player decided, you know, what, I want to go play in the Canadian league or the XFL or the XFL, right. That's, that's a completely different dynamic that you have with, between the sponsors and the athletes themselves. And, um, I think it's inferior and I think it's proven to be inferior. Yeah. And, and again, it's a big thing that is hamstringing the growth of, of the sport. Um, and you know, it's tough to find the answer because, again, these, these sponsors aren't going to just give up the amount of control that they have over this sport. Right. But if if there can be some way that you can kind of reorganize things um, to where – I don't mind it being called Monster Energy Supercross. Fine, because you're dumping a lot of dollars into it. Um, but for Monster Energy <clears throat> to have their name on the entire – championship and also have a team on kawasaki where they at the end of the day have ultimate say over who their riders are um and there's just entirely too much control there for monster energy whereas if you had a system where monster energy paid for that sponsorship to the ama or the actual organization that got trickled down to a series of teams in the sport that were not just sponsors it's not red bull ktm uh, outside of maybe just name, but an actual team that takes part in an entire organization of the MMA, much like the NFL or these other sports, um, then now the AMA would have ultimate say and control over how it runs its sport. And I right. think that is that is a legitimate start to even the playing field and create a more compelling product on the field. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Shout out to Kyle again. Um, Kyle brought up some some really good points, and uh, it's a conversation that I'd actually really like to have a more in depth. Um, I think we should reach out to Kyle to see if he wants to come on the podcast. And talk even about better, this. even better. Instead of reaching out to Kyle, if you're go- if you guys are what or I'm sorry, we're not streaming this live yet, so you're not <laughs> watching it. You're definitely listening. But if you're listening to this right now, go on Facebook, look up dirt bike channel i'm sure many of you probably already follow him either on youtube or facebook um, great channel yep great channel for years. I, yeah i've been watching it since like the very very early days but what we would like to do is we would like to get kyle on the podcast here so go ahead on facebook or on youtube and i want you to leave him a comment that says kyle please go on the power to the ground podcast so if you're listening to this again Go on Facebook or YouTube, leave Kyle a, a comment and say, Kyle, please go on the Power to the Ground podcast. And I think, you know, it's clear that Kyle has some great insights um, as far as this specific topic. And I, I would really love to get his opinion um, in a much more fluid conversation. And plus, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about in the second half of this is because, you know, one thing he knows is these bikes themselves. Yeah. Clearly. So when you want to start talking about even in the playing field that way, I think we'll have some great insight. Uh, one thing you mentioned, uh, just kind of kind of shifting gears just a little bit, uh, right before we hit record today, um, was just kind of, I, I think the, the term I used was like this elitist exclusive kind of club that has been created around the professionals in this sport um, where, you know, you said yourself, if there was a rider that has been being tracked by these, these sponsors and these teams since they were 10, 11 years old and just watched go through all the Loretta Lynn's and all these, you know, kind of amateur races and they have what they feel is a known quantity. And then, um, you know, conversely, you might have another rider who was far less known, but has a potential to be more talented than that known quantity. Yep. That rider 
because he hasn't been being tracked or because he's not in what I called the club, you know, the exclusivity club, um, may not ever get a chance at a factory ride. And do you, I, I think the idea was, you know, the point is that that is another way that this sport is being harmed. We talked last week, we kind of finished up talking about increasing the amount of competition, right? The more riders that can compete at the elite level and not just consistently finish 15th and 16th, but actually compete for wins on a regular race basis and compete for a championship. When you have two or three, fine. When you have seven, eight, nine, ten 10 riders that on any given race can win, they all are fighting for a podium spot. They're all within five seconds of each other at the end of the race, and any one of them has a potential to win a championship. You're talking about a really exciting, compelling product every single weekend. And by only going, so you put it as risk versus reward from the team's perspective. Yep. The unknown quantity that might have more potential is a bigger risk. So these teams who haven't been tracking this rider aren't going to give him the same shot that they give somebody like Sienza Rulo, as you brought up, that they've been tracking for years. How do you think, one, do you think that that affects the competitiveness of the sport? And two, how do you, how do you go about changing that kind of elitist um, club-based exclusivity in the sport? Um, I mean, it, it definitely affects the sport and the, that whole thing came from a comment again that I found on, um, on the video that we posted on Facebook where a guy said that, um, the, the, the equipment that these guys are using, the bikes that they're using, some of these people, the ones who are not in the club, they're having difficulty even financing the the drive from one race to the next. Whereas, conversely, you have the guys who are on these factory rides who have two bikes at the race with them, with seventy to a hundred thousand dollars invested in each one of those bikes. Now, for you to think that these guys are on even playing fields, where where one of them has between one hundred and fifty and two hundred thousand dollars just invested in the, the bikes themselves. the bikes themselves, and somebody who is scrapping together gas money to get from one race to the next. Never mind the money to maintain and improve that bike. Possibly pay some mechanics and a team to help maintain and tweak that bike and right. practice throughout the week. They're probably not practicing nearly as much because they're driving. Yeah, because <laughs> they get to do it themselves. It's not fair. No, it's it's not it's not a it's not an even playing field. And yeah, I do believe that there are some of these guys who are coming out there as privateers that if they were given a shot um, to ride on a factory a factory bike. I, I do think that some of them would just flat out slam some of these riders out there. Um, I mean, it's not all inclusive, right? They're just, there's right. going to be riders who are better than others. You're yeah. throwing 22 plus riders out there, depending on the sport, uh, you know, on every race, there's not going to ever, I don't think be 22 riders who are all on such an even playing field that any, that one rider is going to finish 22nd one week and first the next week. Right. However, if you can increase that pool from the handful that we have now to 10 more would be great. But if you can get, if you can approach 10, that nothing but good comes from that. I think the easiest change to make though, would be on the bikes themselves. You know, there's, uh, you don't have to have all riders who are all perfect tens, you know, they're at, but at the very least, I'll, I'll at least give them the same equipment to use. So let's talk about equipment and we're going to get into bikes. And then we're going to also touch a little bit on the two stroke 
four-stroke thing that people really seem to want to uh, kind of hit on in, in the comments. And uh, I have some what could potentially be some unpopular opinions when it comes to that. Um, but we're going to hit on that right after we take a quick break. Yeah, so we just said it during the break. You know, there's so much to unpack here on this subject. And, uh, I, you know, I feel like you could make a podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated just to this subject. Never mind the races, the riders, and all the cool stuff that we're going to be talking about here. You could literally make a, a podcast just dedicated to restructuring and fixing and making the sport more popular. Right. Um, so, but it, it's in the off season. It's a great time to kind of cover it. So that's what we're doing. Um, all right. Before we get into kind of evening the playing field, let's, let's just touch really quickly on this two stroke versus four stroke thing. Um, the amount of people that have commented on that video and the poll more specifically, actually both, um, that have said the way to make our sport better or to improve it or to you know uh, help all the things that we're trying to talk about is to just bring two strokes back. I feel like that is such a um, – what's a nice way to put this? <laughs> a narrow way to look at the problem. I don't feel like two-stroke versus four-stroke. The shift to four-stroke is not what is damaging this sport. I, I 100% believe that because as somebody who um, came into the sport as a fan a little bit later than, than some other people and you know started riding a little bit later than most people, um, my experience on a two versus a four-stroke is uh, a lot more limited. So when I'm watching these races, I'm not looking at it from somebody who has that same kind of perspective. So you could almost put me up until maybe a year or two ago into a more casual fan base. Um, and I will tell you right now as a, as you know, when I was a casual fan of the sport, I didn't give a flying crap, which type of bike these riders were on. I wanted to watch compelling, interesting races and, I didn't know that they were all on four strokes or two strokes at that point. You know, it wasn't until I dug deeper into the sport and became a much more uh, hardcore kind of uh, invested fan that I started to see what was going on here. And the amount of people I see that say, just go back to two strokes and you'll fix the sport. It's just such a, I just can't stress enough how narrow-minded I think that that viewpoint is. Not that there is no merit to it, um, but you said, you know, uh, just let the riders choose, which is definitely a... Um, an option and one that I don't think hurts the sport, but I don't think it solves problems. Yeah. Um, uh, again, going back to the, because I've been, I've been in a deep dive on these Facebook comments. Um, and thank you very much. If you've, if you're responding to the videos and just content that we're putting on Facebook, uh, we really appreciate it. It's, it's a ton of fun going back and forth. It gives us a lot to talk about on the right. podcast too. So, um, <laughs> Yet another good comment that I got on that was in regards to two strokes themselves because they are less expensive than four strokes. It offers a lower entry point for somebody to get into the sport as opposed to a four stroke. A 250, a 252 stroke, you're going to pay for brand new. I'm talking brand new, like off the showroom floor, you're going to pay somewhere in the range of like seven grand to $7,500. Whereas for a 254 stroke, you're looking more in the 10 grand to, you know, if you're looking at KTMs, maybe 10, 5, 11 grand. Uh, there's a big price difference. Big, big price difference. So do you think that? 
uh, four strokes are easier to ride? I de- I think it depends on what you're riding. I think there uh, if we're talking about just supercross, um, yeah, I think a four stroke is yeah, probably all right. So let me let me let me. I'm sorry. Let me let me rephrase the question. Do you think how many riders and call it the top ten? Right for the ease of ease of numbers in Supercross, the top ten most talented best riders. Yeah. If they were given the option between four stroke and two stroke, how many of those riders do you think actually make the change to two stroke? Because um, I don't think it's a lot. No, I, I I don't think it's a lot, and a lot of that has to do with where this sport shifted. Like uh, like Cianci Rulo, for example. Cianci Rulo is twenty one. Yeah, he's a kid. Twenty twenty one, something like that. Um, flat out never ridden a two-stroke before. Said that. Mm-hmm. Um, so f- to to put the option out there to somebody who's never thrown a leg over a two-stroke and say, "Would you rather ride a two-stroke or a four-stroke?" It's completely uninformed on the subject, and I think, I think for especially for the younger riders, that's not it's not uncommon. So, do you think that? Um, b- Again, you know, in a supercross, so you said it, right? You know, four-stroke is very likely a little bit easier to ride when it comes to a sport like supercross, right? Yeah. Obviously, there are other versions of, of riding that, that might not be the case. Um, but we're kind of focusing on making supercross better. Um, when it comes to competition, um, the pros are going to go with what they feel gives them the best competitive advantage all the time. Right. And... I just feel like oh. giving that up. There's the popo again, right? Go get him. Go get him. It's a hot take, police. I'm talking about. <laughs> say, here you go, hot take, police. Because I got a hot take. Two strokes are not going to fix your sport. Is kind of my point, right? Yeah. There are so many other issues with this sport. Um, if you want to give the riders the option, fine. I'm still willing to bet that a majority of them stay on the four stroke, either because of a lack of familiarity or because they feel like in Supercross, particularly. A two-stroke puts them at a competitive disadvantage. So, yes, an easier, lower-priced entry point um, might be good for getting more people into the sport. But there are other ways to do that. And at the end of the day, if you love the sport and you want to get into the sport, you're going to pay the money for the sport. At the end of the day, it's a hobby. And when you have a hobby that you love, you're going to dish out whatever money you can to to get into that hobby. If you're not looking to become a competitive professional racer, get the cheaper two-stroke. Go ride your trails and have a fucking blast doing it. Um, if you are looking to be and a professional level racer and your parents at 10 years old want you to be a professional rider, they're probably going to be okay with dishing out the extra money for a bike that they feel gives you a competitive advantage. I don't, I just don't think in any of those scenarios, just shifting to two strokes fixes, fixes the sport. You know, I just, I just wanted to make sure I pointed that out. I vehemently disagree with that idea. And I'm not, this is not me making advocating for one or the other either. You know, I think it's a very much a personal preference kind of a thing. I prefer four strokes. I don't care what the professionals ride again, but, um, you know, in the context of fixing the sport media, even playing field, the sponsorship and team dynamics, all of those things are vastly, vastly more important than two stroke two versus four. four. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to do though. We're going to throw that out there as the poll this week, two stroke versus four stroke tried and true. Just as like a personal preference thing. No, I, or, I think for, which is, um, I think the actual question will probably be if you are a top 10 supercross rider, would you switch to a two stroke? 
right now Interesting. in 20 in 2020 all right i'm gonna put out a prediction right now and say that it's like kind of like the other polls we've had where they ended up being kind of close um i'm gonna say two stroke gets between 50 and 60 percent of the vote think so i think so um because there just seems to be this movement of riders that um like casual or i don't want to say casual but like um hobbyist riders who are fans of the sport and fans of riding that just are so locked into this idea that just two strokes overall are these these better bikes um and, and i see that over and over and over through casual conversations through um, you know, reading media or even looking at the comments and some of these things, people just seem to be so locked into just this two-stroke mentality. Um, and uh, and again, for me, you know, with my background, I just don't understand, you know, why that is so stuck in people's heads. I can understand a preference, right? But it just it seems to be this movement, this coalition of like these people that are just like, no, two strokes all day, and just. It's nostalgia. It's nostalgia is what it is. I completely agree that nostalgia plays it plays a big part in it. So now that we're on the subject of, you know, the bikes themselves, um, I want to talk about evening the playing field. So one commenter said something along the lines of, you know, something we suggested last week, like you said, with, you know, the season qualifier, but no factory rides on the season qualifier. How do you eliminate the advantage or mitigate the advantage or swap it, whatever you want to call it with the factory sponsored riders having just purely better machines than the privateers or the non-factory riders. Because I still stand and you've kind of, you know, agreed with me to, to a point that there is talent in this sport that has not gotten a fair shake at actually winning races on a regular basis because they don't have the, spot, the factory sponsorship. And we just talked about one aspect being the money invested in the bikes and these privateers having to you know gas themselves to the next race. Um, that is a absolute legit. But also you're talking about the price of parts, right. um, the price of the mechanics and the engineers uh, who, who help tweak these bikes and maintain these bikes. When a privateer is doing it mostly himself, uh, he doesn't have the knowledge and the and the backing. I mean, I'm not saying they can't do it. They obviously know their bikes. But when you have a top tier, world class mechanic working on your bike, how much does that cost those teams? They can afford it. That's an advantage for those riders. I think it's an unfair advantage in a skill based sport. Absolutely. Um, one thing you could do is. Uh... I don't know, develop some sort of a, for lack of a better word, salary cap. You know, you have a salary cap in all of the other major sports spec where they... Spec cap. Yeah, like a spec cap where there there's a, um, I, I don't know, there's like a certain amount of money per week that you're allowed to spend on your bike. And you cannot go over that amount. Okay. Um, I like that start. Or Or even per season. Like, they have to use the same bike throughout the season. Because that's another thing. The factory riders, if uh, if Tomac goes out and poops his pants in one of these races and goes down hard and smashes his bike into little pieces... He's got a backup. He's got a backup. Or he might he might even have a, a brand new bike by next week. Um, Whereas privateers do not. The privateers don't have that. You know, they um, they might get lucky in some, some uh, um, local mom and pop shop will throw them a you know 
a bike to use. Yeah, but it's going to be stock. Right. They're going to have to work on it themselves to get it even close to where they want to want it to be, the need to be to even come close to competing. Um, and that's more money. Even if they got the bike as a sponsorship from mom and pop, um, that's a ridiculous amount of money they have to spend in aftermarket parts and time investment. If they have a mechanic, they got to pay the mechanic. Um, you, you're right. So I like that start, right? You know, just here's the maximum amount of money um, that you can spend per season. Now, the only issue with that is when there's a salary cap. So like the NFL has a salary minimum too. There's right. a salary floor. Um but all of the teams in the NFL, NBA, NHL make enough money, more than enough money to reach that cap. When you're talking about evening the playing field for some of these privateers or these smaller sponsored non-factory teams, um, a salary cap isn't going to do much if you set the cap at, say, I don't know, call it half a million dollars a year, right, just for a, a nice round number. It's probably more than that. Right. Um, if you say your team is not allowed to spend more than half a million dollars per year on maintaining, upgrading, and tweaking your bike, um, what if this privateer doesn't come anywhere close to that $500,000, whereas KTM has to scale back? This privateer, is still is he's still not going to be on the same playing field because he's not going to be able to – unless you set that cap and that bar so – low that like you and i could reach that cap i don't think you're even in the playing field yet but i do think that's a good start right i i I think that's a a a definitely a direction i think you should probably get more bike specific cap so this is when when i said a spec cap um do you really think that just limiting the bikes to a certain amount of cc's and displacement is evening the playing field no, it's not. It's absolutely not. So can you get deeper into specifications? Can you get deeper into just pure, you know, horsepower and, you know, modifications into how much can you limit that aftermarket stuff on a bike that would even the playing field? Well, I mean, the the aftermarket parts, they they all serve different purposes, you know, but for the most part, all of the parts that they're looking at they're going to increase power, decrease weight. Yep. Um, those are the biggest things that they're looking for. So do you have a, a weight limit, like a lower weight limit? Do you have a power limit? You know, like I said, some kind of horsepower limit or something like that. I, in other words, limit everything you can as far as modifi- modifications to your bike to an extent that something that anybody can reach and say, well, my bike now has – everybody's bike is at the same bo- – because you know they're going to all reach that bottom weight limit as quickly as possible – um, without, without limiting feel for the rider, right? right? Suspension, um, y- you know, all, all of that kind of, uh, feely type, the rider says, mm, I need to tweet that. Don't limit that. The rider needs to be able to feel the comfortable on their bike. Cause what we're trying to do, right. Is to make the sport about how skilled are you on your bike? Right. Not how powerful is your bike versus the other guy's bike. It's about skill, and that was been my, you know, that's always been my biggest issue with some of these other racing sports, where it comes down to just who has the better machine, not who's the better racer. Right. Um. So if you're limiting power, weight, and some of these other specifications, and evening the playing field that way, I think you're suddenly making it more about the sport. Yeah, I mean that the the idea here, but in either way, in either case, the idea is to level the playing field as far as the machines. Um, 
I think the easiest implementation though would be that salary cap, and I don't think I I don't think you base the salary cap on the factory rides. You have to base the salary cap on the privateers. So doing something reasonable where um, it's a cap that a privateer could reach, but it's also chopping the legs off of the sa- the the factory rides is where you really have to at least start. Sure, because what that's going to do is it's going to chop the legs off of the factory rides. The privateers are going to win more races. They're going to have more money to invest in their bikes going forward. And then from that point, once that that playing field has been leveled... Reaching that salary cap is no longer an issue. Right. And then you can raise the salary cap if you want to. Sure. In or, you know, just in small increments. In small increments to make sure you're not pricing out those right. other riders. So finding out... like. What does the average privateer spend on, on, on their bike during a season? You know, if it's twenty thousand dollars, then add twenty percent to that, make it twenty four thousand dollar cap. You know, another way that you can implement a salary cap that would um, kind of even the playing field. How about paying all your freaking riders? Yeah, you know. Uh, so again, so this kind of goes back to the sponsorship thing, but it's it definitely ties in, right? The writers right now, their money comes from their sponsors. That's not coming from the AMA. It's not coming from I'm a professional rider. It's no, I'm a professional Monster Energy rider. I'm a professional right. KTM Red Bull rider. Right. Um, when you start taking out, again, it goes back to the sponsors, right? You're cutting the legs off of the factory rides because those sponsors are just dumping money into those bikes with the salary cap. Well, one way to also mitigate that and make sure everybody meets the salary cap is tell the riders themselves they all get a salary from being a professional rider. Right. If you're a professional, you should get paid for it. These privateers are professionals. Listen, if you're qualifying for a professional supercross race, you are a professional. I don't care if you're a privateer or not. Right. I don't care if you're as good as Eli Tomac or not. If you qualify for one of these races, you are an elite supercross rider who deserves a salary. Um, and that salary should absolutely cover the cost of gas and travel and bike maintenance right. for these riders. And another way to kind of um, implement all of that is team Teams, teams, not yeah. not it's perfect. Not segue. KTM's, not KTM's teams, teams in the sport. And yeah, so I, it's, you like that? It was a great segue. Yeah, that was a great that, segue. Like, the last thing I definitely want to talk about is: can we make this a team sport? And will it help the sport as opposed to a very individual sport with you know the way it's currently currently right. constituted? Yeah, I think I I think there's a lot to be said for making this a more team oriented sport and. No, I don't like there there are teams in the sport. We know. We get it. But are they teams? They're not. No. Because we've already talked about how much uh, how much are, are Ciancerulo and Tomac going to help each other on these races? They're not because they're both going to be competing for a championship. Right. Yeah. The only reason they're considered teams is because their paychecks are coming from the same place. Right. So beyond that, they have no vested interest in being teammates whatsoever. So if you make this a team sport, it's a lot easier to organize it in that way where the teams are the ones actually paying the salaries to these riders. And yeah, you'd have to make it a salary because I'm that's, that's how you really level a playing field. Um, when you take finance out of it, it's, it's like video games. You love video games. It's become super is a pay to play platform. End of story. 
or a pay to pay to win. Absolutely a pay to win sport. And so and here's the thing, you don't have to completely and drastically and completely flip over the entire sport to make this kind of work, right? The teams themselves can still be, I don't know, the, the Kawasaki Blazers or the freaking, you know, the the Red Bull freaking the Red Bull Riders or whatever you want to name these teams, right? You can still have your sponsorship as team names um, for profit purposes. But if you structure these teams, so now let's say uh, the Kawasaki Riders or the Kawasaki Blazers and the Red Bull Riders get uh, three riders per team. Uh, with a salary cap and a bike salary cap or a, a bike maintenance cap or when, you know whatever you want to call it. There's two caps. There's a pay the rider salary cap right. to even that playing field because um, now you're talking about you're probably drafting um, some sort of draft from like the 250s, which I think would be an incredible – can you imagine how awesome that event would be? You have your teams like you know uh, Kawasaki's contracts are up and Red Bull's got some contracts up and now they're looking at the 250 riders who – and instead of just moving up whenever they want, these 250 riders stay in the 250s until they're drafted. Yeah. So now they have an incentive to race even harder in the 250s or whatever minor, you know, minor league-ish type things you want to uh, draft from. And now you have your draft. And Red Bull says, well, I'm going to draft, you know, Adam Cianciarulo. And Kawasaki's like, damn, no, we want to see Cianciarulo. So they get a look through and they're like, oh, you know, this Justin Cooper guy, we're going to draft Justin Cooper. And you sign them to contracts. And then you're protecting the pl- the riders that way, by the way. This is a huge, huge boon to riders because now they are under a salaried contract that is not solely based on their performance, at least for the amount of time they're under contract. Right. Um, but the other big shift there would have to be, so now you have the salary cap, you have the bike maintenance cap. Your only riders are on teams. The teams have, I don't know, I'll call it three to five riders. But you get points throughout the season as a team. When your rider finishes first, your second rider finishes fifth, and then you have your third rider finishing tenth, well, you add those up, and that is your score for the weekend. And that goes towards a team championship. So it would not be Eli Tomac winning a Supercross. And I know people are cringing right now, right? Fans are cringing because, you know, you're, you're, you're taking away so much tradition <clears throat> in this sport. And look, I get it. And we're going down fantasy land. But I, I think, and there are people out there who we saw have agreed with us, think this is such an important thing to consider with this sport where it becomes the Kawasaki Blazers won the championship this year. And then you could talk about MVPs, right? Uh, Eli Tomac won the MVP because he won the most races. Right. Or, you know, this this rider had the best consistent finish, so he won, you know, the individual season points award, um, which would be what was now the championship. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean his team won the championship. Now people are getting their team jerseys uh, for merch. They're supporting teams. I would like to see them be local, right? Like kind of set it up like other sorts Locale. of cities. Yeah. You know, the the Boston Riders as opposed to the Kawasaki Riders. And you can have the Boston Riders sponsored by Kawasaki. I don't care. But right. if it's when you suddenly now base it by city, that city has a reason to invest in that sport emotionally. They right. have a reason to emotionally invest in that sport. You become so protective of your local teams. I grew up, I am a Red Sox fan, Celtics fan, Bruins fan, Patriots fan because I grew up here and I was taught you know, and, and spent time with my, my dad rooting for these teams. And I hate all teams from Texas. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, <laughs> that's my thing. And now you put that dynamic into this sport. Oh, I think you have a huge, huge opportunity for growth. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity for growth when you put in the teams. Um, you have to change the product, mm-hmm. um, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. I mean, motocross of nations, they do pretty well. 
every year. Um, and that's a great product. I they're that's exactly how I would structure it yeah. too. As far as the points, how you break down the, the races themselves, because you get a little bit of the individual, right? You have right. your your GP rider, you have your MX2 rider, then you have your open rider, and how they kind of mix it all up. I love that structure. Do that for a season long, and instead of nations as teams, you have your cities, right. lo- locales as as your teams. I, the crafts would buy that right up. Oh, the they so the crafts have already bought up the Boston uh, uprising in the Overwatch League in in esports. Right. They ha- they own the Revolution, obviously the Patriots. Um if you did that, if you suddenly created a league where that was kind of the case and it was a team-based city sport, I the crafts would invest in that so heavily. Yeah, it it's incredibly uh yeah, I'm it's 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 a spectator sport. It's the best spectator sport there is. Mm-hmm. Name me a sport that is just more exciting baseline more exciting than than supercross or motocross for that matter i i mean i can't think of one and i think that's why we're having this conversation right. you and i feel like this is flat out the most the most fun exciting sport to watch it's not just your your asphalt stock car racing where they just go in left turns which is it, to me is boring as hell i love the idea of racing i can watch f1 i like watching indy car racing rally racing is great they're super super fun but you're talking about dudes on two wheels doing crazy things on these bikes the amount you know the heights that they reach and the speeds that they reach on a motorcycle and you know the way to make passes and some of the strategy behind it it's it's flat out my favorite sport to watch easily followed maybe in a distant second by hockey yeah (laughs) you know no i totally agree easily uh easily my favorite spot my favorite sport to watch Um, and there are potentially so many people that also feel that way and that's where this conversation comes in. How do we get those people to know what this sport is? Put teams, put those teams in cities. Yep. Have a season long indoor and outdoor. I think you should, I I fully think you should combine those championships in some way, shape, or form. Um, maybe first half of the season, second half of the season, then you get an overall thing. Yep. Maybe that's how you determine the playoffs. I I, I don't know. However you want to, however you want to you know, shake it up, but do a motocross the nations for the full season, and the teams are based in cities. Set a salary cap. Have a draft from the 250s and then set a bike uh, maintenance cap. Those riders now get salaries. Those privateers have an opportunity to get drafted and paid on a regular. They don't, they're not stressing out just trying to get to the next race and then spending the night before the race maintaining it themselves, getting no sleep and having absolutely no shot to compete in the next race. They just want to qualify to make enough money to make it to the next race. You, that is gone. The teams take care of travel. The teams are paying their riders. The teams are limited in having. Now the teams can make a contract. Maybe the Boston local Boston team makes a contract with with uh, KTM, and the New York team makes a contract with Kawasaki. And those are the bikes they use. But you still know those bikes are on a somewhat even playing field because of the caps. Yep, hundred percent. I think that was that's a great wrap up. It was basically the whole conversation started. How do you make Supercross not suck? And that that got quite a bit of uh, con- that that got quite a bit of conversation started um, alone, just the title itself. And you know what? Uh, sue me, guys. That's exactly why I made that the title. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but, it's oh, it's clickbait. Well, no, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for clicking. Yeah, thanks for clicking. <laughs> so, yeah, to to wrap up, I mean, we have the things that we could have done for the product, um, changing, you know, this, that, and the other. Even down to the the bikes, um, the way that the riders get paid, um, 
The amount of power sponsors have. The amount of power sponsors have. The team adding the team dynamic. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff that could be done, and even if you only do one or two of them, I think you're in a you're much. Ta- you're better taking spot. a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't know. Well, I, I say we gauge the polls for this week. Uh, yeah. Kind of gauge the comments, and if we need to continue this into a third episode, I feel like we probably could. Again, this could be a year long podcast. Yeah. Um, if not, I mean, I feel like we've kind of hit on a lot of the stuff we wanted to hit on. So maybe we find a new topic for next week. Um, I guess we can kind of play that one by ear. But if you're listening, uh, jump on, throw your comments down, uh, tell us what you think. Um, and if you think that two strokes are the answer, don't just don't bother commenting. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, like we love the interaction. You guys have been so great. We've had some great conversations, some great insights. And uh, I'm definitely looking forward to continuing this conversation. If not next week, we'll definitely have other episodes where we can kind of continue this this conversation. So um, definitely, definitely a lot to cover there. Yeah, there is a lot to cover. Don't forget to jump over to Dirt Bike Channel and tell Kyle that you want to see him uh, on the Power to the Ground podcast. We really, really would appreciate it if you helped us out to, uh, you know, get a little push behind this yeah i think it'd be interesting you know having our first guest be someone like that i think is an absolute absolutely uh, a, a good idea so kyle you know let's do it yeah um so you got anything else for these guys bud i think you need to go lay down and get some rest yep i'm gonna go take a shower and try to wash off any of the sick that you might have gotten on me during this podcast good, solid play solid <laughs> so i'm play. not next <laughs> next week it's gonna be me not able to talk and i thought you were kick. gonna say you're gonna go wash off some of the two-stroke thoughts that you were having yeah, no, that too. No, <laughs> I'm not that against two strokes. Let's just put that out there. I just don't think it's the answer for you guys. Skewer me and roast me over a freaking campfire with your two strokes. <laughs> they just stack them up and they're just roasting you over the exhaust fumes. <laughs> I'm going to get skewered. Oh, my God. Uh, no, that's it. I don't have anything else, man. Go get some rest, feel better, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. All right. All right.